You're listening to the Nachum Siegel Network, and uh, we bring you a new, fresh edition of the OU Jewish Reaction Program. And uh, we open this week with two special guests, Rabbi Simon Posner, who's executive editor at OU Press, and Rabbi Gil Student, former managing editor at OU Press and currently a member of the OU Press Commission. It is a pleasure to welcome you both, Rabbi Posner and Rabbi Student, to the Nachum Siegel Network. Hello. Hello, Nachum. Uh, pleasure to be on the program. I greatly appreciate that. Welcome to both of you. Um, it's been quite a year, 2015. Wouldn't you agree, Rabbi Posner, when it comes to the OU Press and the books that have been released? Uh, yes, it has. It's been uh, a very noteworthy year. We've had a lot of excellent publications, and uh, we've tried to uh, see if we can if we can narrow down to a few that we might be able to discuss so uh, on the uh, on the program for your listeners. No question about it. Rabbi Posner is the executive editor of OU Press. Rabbi Student, you're you're uh, currently a member of the OU Press. Commission. How large is the commission, and what's your role exactly? The commission is effectively a board. It's a few few members who are involved in key decisions, and each of us fill different roles within the organization uh, based on our experience and expertise. So I deal a lot with the nitty-gritty because of my experience in publishing, uh, working with Rabbi Posner on some of the nitty-gritty of the pub- publishing and uh, some of the manuscript selection and things like that. Why has this worked, Rai Posner? A lot of organizations would love to have their own uh, publishing house, so to speak, and a lot of organizations think they can go into the world of books. Why has uh, your efforts been? Why have your efforts been recognized as being so noteworthy? Well, I think there are a few reasons. One is that um, uh, we're able to uh, obtain, I think, uh, top top-notch quality uh, manuscripts and writing. Uh, the OU has a name, has a presence. Uh, and uh, Baruch Hashem, we, we attract quality. Uh, uh, we focus a lot on the material of Rav Soloveitchik, the Rav, uh, uh, which is uh, just incomparable, uh, and uh, the work of Rabbi Sachs, Norman Lamb, and so on. So that's certainly one reason that we, uh, I, I think, are successful in getting the attention of, of the Jewish public. Another reason is that uh, we've been able to partner with some excellent publishing houses uh, whose presence uh, in the marketplace helps us as well. Uh, we turn out, I think, uh, quality products, all of which put together, I think, uh, helps, uh, helps attract a lot of attention to our work. And our goal is to get uh, uh, Jewish knowledge out there in, uh, into the Jewish community. Speaking to Ari Simon Posner, I'm a Gill student. We've spoken about Chumash Mesorah Sarav uh, more than once. Is there a way, as we just do a little review and we have other works to discuss, because you know how long we could discuss the Rub's works, mm-hmm. is there a way to review or to encapsulate why this Chumash, uh, with the commentary of the Rub, is so different and fills such an important uh, a part of the Chumash scholarship? Uh, let me try to uh, give it to you in, in uh, an encapsulated form, uh, Nachum. Um, the the, the Rav, uh, the Rav never wrote a systematic commentary on Chumash. Uh, he never sat down to write an actual commentary. Uh, but he gave numerous shiurim on Parshas HaShavua. He wrote essays. He wrote books. He wrote a book called Festival of Freedom, which is all about Yitzhiyas Misraim and Sefer Shmos. He wrote a book called Abraham's Journey, which is about Sefer Bracious. If people want to get the Rav's knowledge on Chumash, Previously, they had to get copies of uh, essays, of books, of tapes, uh, read notes. What we've been able to do is we've uh, assembled all of this material with the help of the editor of the Chumash, Arnie Lustiger, who has an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that the Rav wrote and said, and people who have the tapes and notes of his shiurim and so on. Take excerpts from all of those various sources, put them together uh, anthologize them, uh, put them together as a running commentary to the Chumash. We at the OU Press take all of uh, Dr. Lustiger's work and edit it so that it can be seen as a seamless commentary. We put it on the same page as the Chumash text. So for the first time in, in, in history, uh, you can open up a Chumash, have the Chumash text on the page, and also have the commentary of Rob Soloveitchik, just an incomparable uh, commentary. Rabbi Student, you've reviewed many types of works. Uh, how different is it, or what advantages might there be that this is compiled in this fashion, using students' notes and you know people from different 
I guess, uh, eras and different, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, different angles of being the Rub student as opposed to the Rub actually having a work that he wrote consistently himself. I say this as a consumer, as someone who reviews the Parsha each week. This Chumash is a game changer. This changes your experience of reviewing the Parsha of, of children. You know, I never met the Rav. I never had any exposure to him. My children, certainly not. But they can open up this Chumash, and anyone with, uh, with, with whether they have yeshiva background or not can be exposed to all these insights. It's fabulous. It, it's just, it, you open it up, and you, you'll, you'll understand what we mean. We're not overpraising this. This, this Chumash is really just groundbreaking. We're speaking about uh, OU Press and the amazing year of 2015 that they had. Rabbi Simon Posner, Rabbi Gil's student, both with us. Lessons in Leadership, a weekly reading of the Jewish Bible by Jonathan Sachs. Why is it, Rabbi Posner, that leadership became the theme of this? Well, I think uh, leadership is is uh, something that Rabbi Sachs has been concerned about a lot. He's written about it. He uh, thinks about it. I think looking around the world today, I think uh, he views leadership as a quality that um, uh, unfortunately uh, may not be in a, a, a great presence as we would like it to be. And I think he has the unique ability to look back to our uh, sacred writings and to be able to distill lessons that that one can use today in today's world and see the value that, that Chumash Tanakh has for today's world. Rabbi and, and, and keep in mind, sorry to interrupt, keep in mind that Rabbi Sachs used to learn the Chavrusa one-on-one partner with the prime ministers of England. Right. <laughs> he, he would learn Parsha, and I, I suspect that this is, book is what came out of it, at least partially. Yeah, talk about leadership, huh? Leadership in many different areas. Jewish leadership, world leadership, he's been exposed to all of it. Letters, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, absolutely. He's met with world leaders, with religious leaders around the world, and these are the lessons that he brings with him that contributes to the global conversation. Fabulous. Ernest Guggenheim has a book, Letters from Me, or A Torah World in the Shadow of the Shoah, or by Posner. A little bit, uh, I don't know, is it, would this be considered a scholarly work? Would it be considered a historical work? Maybe part of both? What do you, how do you categorize it? It's, it's a remarkable book. Let me, um, let me give your listeners a, a quick, uh, uh, description of what this book is. Uh, in 1938, a young French Jew by the name of Ernest Guggenheim uh, uh, came from a distinguished uh, rabbinical family that had been living in France for many, many generations, decided to go uh, and learn in the Miri Yeshiva. Uh, Ernest Guggenheim had received smicha in France from the French Rabbinical Academy. He was a young man in his early 20s. He wanted to go learn. He went to the Miri Yeshiva in Mir, Lithuania. He was there from January through August of 1938, and he wrote letters home to his parents and his family. Um, uh, The letters were in French. He was French. Uh, um, The letters were extraordinary. Uh, They were translated into English, and they are just extraordinary. They're humorous. They're sensitive. They're perceptive. They're about the life of the shtetl in pre-war Europe. They're about the life of the yeshiva. they're humorous. Uh, uh, he writes about uh, one thing, you know, they used to go swimming in the lake, and as he says, um, the bathroom will go swimming in the lake, and you're cleaner before you go in than after you come out. Uh, um, uh, he had never seen a chassid in his life. Here's a young, cultured Western Jew, a lamdan, 100% from, he had never seen a chassid. He writes about the different Hasidic communities. He took a trip for a week or two through uh, some of the Hasidic communities. Um, it's got an incredibly important historical component. Um, he writes, this is in 1938, you know, the Shoah is looming. Uh, these people didn't have a clue of, of what was to befall them. Uh, how large is the book? Do you know how many, do you all offhand how many letters there are, how big the book is? The book is, uh, let me just pull it off the shelf right now. The book is a little bit over 200 pages long. I don't know how many letters, you know, uh, but they're, they're, they're so engaging. He's a perceptive, engaging, uh, intelligent young man, uh, and um, he just writes about fascinating things. He said, uh, he writes home, uh, uh, today uh, we listened to an address on the radio. Yes, there is a radio in Mir at the Yeshiva. We listened to, we listened to an address by Adolf Hitler. Wow. You know, Yamach Shemov Zichro. Right. 
and 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 all of a sudden he writes about how the German Bachrim, the boys from Germany, their visas get revoked, and they're all going crazy because how are they going to get home? And and the guys who were in, back home in Germany, how are they going to get back to the yeshiva? So are there 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 these rumblings, the clouds on the horizon? Um, let me just tell you, um, Rabbi Guggenheim survives the war. Wow. Uh, he goes back to France after uh, he's there from January to August of 1938, goes back home to France, drafted into the French army. All the young French Jewish boys went into the army. Uh, uh, it was the thing to do, from, non from, uh, they, they all went into the army. World War II breaks out. He was captured put in a POW camp with other French prisoners of war. He became the chaplain of the POW camp, was a, a, a power, uh, you know, a, a, a pillar of power and strength to everybody in the camp, survives the war, becomes one of the prominent Orthodox rabbinim in France after the war, um, uh, passed away in the 1970s. His son, Michael Guggenheim, is the chief rabbi of Paris uh, currently, and the book is just a fascinating uh, window on pre, pre-war Europe, the world of the shtetl, the war of the yeshiva. Rabbi Student, is this a, uh, an amazing way to get an autobiography by reading the letters of somebody from that era? Well, think about it. It's from a time before email, when people actually wrote letters. <laughs> and, and you see the letter that very long and detailed, this is his only form of communication to his parents. So you really see what a yeshiva bachar was thinking and what his life was. It's a real window into that world. It is amazing. Ernest Guggenheim, Letters from Mir, a Torah world in the shadow of the Shoah. We had the opportunity to speak to Rabbi Slifkin here on the show, the Torah Encyclopedia of the Animal Kingdom, Volume 1, on Chayot. Uh, is there any way for either of you to describe how long it took for Rabbi Slifkin to put this all together? Uh, th- this book is the culmination of his entire career. And this is a, a very... A prolific author, a great researcher, a brilliant mind, and it took him well over a decade uh, uh, to, to put this all together, and it, it's just brilliant. It's important it's, to the Jewish world because there's been nothing like it beforehand. What would you say? There's nothing like it beforehand, and it appeals to so many different people, to the scholar, to the, mm-hmm. to the layperson, to, even to the child, just to look at the pictures. It's, it's amazing photography. Rabbi Posner, your impressions? I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, as we say, this book is, uh, is is great whether you want to use it for your uh, coffee table or for your uh, library table. Uh, it's just a magnificent work. Uh, incredible amount of scholarship went into it. Uh, everything you wanted to know and more than what you wanted to know uh, about animals, uh, many of uh, which I've never even heard of. It's just a, a, an incredible feat, and I think it will uh, stand the test of time uh, over the years. You know, it's interesting, once we get into new genres of books, once uh, different categories are introduced, cookbooks, I guess, would be great. Not that that it was a revolution when all these cookbooks were introduced, but you know what I mean when it Mm -hmm. starts. I wonder if this, Rabbi Slifkin's encyclopedia, with the photography, uh, with the details, and approaching a subject that's never been approached before in this manner, I wonder if that's going to spur on other types of works, you know, where people would say to themselves, you know, there could be an encyclopedia of, I don't know, of some other category that nobody's ever thought of before. Well, you know what genre he started, Nachum? He started the Parak Shira commentary. He right. did, I think, the first big one, and after that, many came later. Right. Good point. Mm-hmm. So, a revolutionary, I guess we can call him. Yes, absolutely. The Covenant Cookbook, Food and Wine for the New Jewish Table, Jeff and Jody Morgan. This is a book that came out in 2015. We discussed this more than once on mm-hmm. our programming. Why has this, or I Posner, been such an important addition to the world of Jewish and kosher cookbooks? Yeah, well, you know, it's sort of not the uh, not 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 the regular uh, uh, genre that OU Press would normally publish, <laughs> and uh, not not our standard fare of uh, scholarly, academic, uh, liturgical works. Um, but we thought it was an important thing to do because, you know, the the, the Jewish world is changing, the Frum world is changing. Um, the the uh, we, all of us growing up, at least myself, uh, growing up, we we would uh, drink the super sweet uh, Concord wine or whatever for Kiddush. The Jewish world is changing. Uh, people are more sophisticated now when it comes to uh, food, to wine, and so on. And we thought here at the OU that we want people to realize that the OU is relevant to that uh, dynamic uh, as well, to that cultural shift. We also felt that there's a whole uh, uh, 
uh, community of Jews on the periphery of our traditional world for whom cuisine, wine, the sophistication uh, in, in, in gourmet cooking and so on is important. And we wanted them to know that the OU is relevant to that as well. And this was an opportunity for us to try to reach out to that world and make the OU's presence known to that entire community and that world on the periphery, as well as to our own traditional community, which is in its own way uh, changing uh, its views uh, of, of, of what home life is like in many respects. As executive editor, were you required to go out to California? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> uh, somebody had to do it. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I did not go to California, although Jeff Morgan invited me uh, more than one occasion. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He and his wife are two beautiful souls uh, engaged on their own uh, uh, journey. Uh, and... Uh, they were they were delighted that the OU Press was interested in in, in their book uh, because uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Morgan, who runs the Covenant uh, Winery, uh, one of the uh, very prominent kosher wineries out on the West Coast, uh, OU certified, of course. Uh, he's passionate about kosher wine. Uh, uh, it's his mission. Uh, to make, as he often says, the best kosher wine in 5,000 years. Uh, uh, his own background is one of transition, uh, and he was delighted that the OU uh, was willing to um, uh, be part of his uh, project with this cookbook. And he has, by the way, uh, or you've included the uh, you know OU commentary in terms of what people need to know for a kosher kitchen. Absolutely. Diff- different things uh, that apply to our tradition, etc. There's a there's a wonderful introduction by Rabbi Ganak, right. uh, who's uh, head of OU Kosher, but also head of the OU Press. Uh, Jeff Morgan himself has a lovely introduction where he talks about his feeling of the significance of kosher wine in Jewish life for Yahadus and so on. Uh, uh, it's part of his generally a very spiritual way of, uh, of looking at, at, at what he's doing. Rabbi Gill, student, a comment about the uh, number of cookbooks in the kosher world that are out there at the moment. Well, most of the OU books, OU press books, appeal to the scholars. But, right. you know, scholars have to eat also. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that, that... The cookbooks, you know, they delight the, they delight the, the stomach, and their other books delight the mind. Yeah, understood. And, Rabbi Posner, the fact that I don't think there's another cookbook planned for the next little while for the OU Press, right? I don't think there's one in the, in the works. That is correct. That, nothing nothing on the uh, nothing on the, in the pipeline right now. That, that proves the point that you yeah. felt this was the exception, that this was you know an opportunity to educate and an opportunity to do something unique correct. With, uh, with the Morgan family. Uh, unlocking the Torah text on Devarim or by Shmuel Golden. We had a chance to speak to Rabbi Golden about the book. Uh, it is, um, it, it's amazing. You could have so many weekly Parsha books in front of you, not just the OU Press ones, but I'm talking about the entire plethora that there is out there. And you can get such a different perspective or, you know, an additional perspective from every single one of them. What Rabbi Posner does Rabbi Golden bring to the table? Well, I think Rabbi Golden brings a, a, a very uh, important view because what he's able to do is he's able to go through the Sedra and ask the kinds of questions that, uh, you, you you would might be asking yourself and your family if you're sitting at the Shabbos table and point them out things from everyday life, contemporary life, moral, ethical issues that if you give a little bit of thought, you'll see that they emerge from the Sedra and then he tries to give uh, practical, conceptual answers that really address them in a very down-to-earth, practical kind of way. Uh, I think it's an incredibly valuable resource and a wonderful approach. Yeah. Rabbi Gill, student, what do you think? One of the uniquenesses of Rabbi Golden is that he, he, he speaks to the big questions of life, of meaning. Why are we here? How do we relate to God? And how does God relate to us? And he does it in a very conversational way. So it's you don't have to be a philosopher to understand it, but he speaks to all the questions that any normal person is going to ask throughout their life. Yeah. Um, Rabbi Student, do you agree that uh, when you're with the plethora of uh, weekly Parsha books, it's amazing how you could learn something from every single one of them? Well, everyone has their own favorites, and i got to tell you that um, Rabbi Golden's is one of my favorites. Very nice. Uh, we're speaking with our Simon Posner, executive editor of OU Press, Rabbi Gill's student, former managing editor of OU Press, and currently member of the OU Press Commission. It's the uh, best of OU Press in 2015 on this edition of the OU Jewish Reaction Program here at the Nahum Siegel Network. A word about what's coming up in 2016. There will be a Masoras Harav on Vayikra, Rabbi Posner. Absolutely. We're working on it right now. In fact, uh, we hope it will be out uh, uh, 
God willing, over the next month or two, uh, and uh, it will be uh, uh, up to the same standards of excellence, I believe, that uh, uh, we've seen in our editions of uh, Reishas and Shmos. All right, that's coming up on Vayikra. Siddur Kulanu Biyachan. We had a whole conversation earlier, uh, about a week ago, about Yachan and the incredible work that they're doing. It's literally a Yachad Siddur yes. for, for the developmentally disabled. I mean, what, what, what's required to do that? Well, you know, there, there's a crying need for this because right now there is no um, uh, appropriate sitter which meets the needs of the develop, developmentally disabled community. There are uh, there are some attempts, partial attempts here and there, but they are unfortunately less than adequate. The Yachad people, who certainly are uh, uh, intimately involved with uh, the problems, the challenges of, of dealing with these issues, felt it was essential, the time had come, to have a proper sitter that could be uh, appropriate for this audience and for this community. It's not easy because you run a, a wide gamut of needs and challenges. But what they've done is they we're in the process of working on it now. It's far from finished, but we are in the midst of it. Um, Yachad OU Press together, uh, working uh, with Koren in, in Israel, um, putting together the sitter, a translation, which is not a verbatim translation, but a conceptual translation, comments and interesting questions uh, and uh, talking points uh, on each page, color-coded so that some sections might be more appropriate for one segment of uh, the target audience and other sections might be more appropriate for a different segment of the audience. So an easier way to navigate through the sitter will be color coding. This will be a sitter that will be um, a very important contribution to Claudius Royal. The the con consultation you need with people who are leaders in Yachad must be unbelievable. Yes, yes. it's uh, They're working, uh, you know, the, Yachad has the expertise. Uh, working very hard on this. We at OU Press are working very closely with them. I've already gone through uh, uh, several drafts of uh, portions of the sitter, and um, it's not easy. It's not easy, but I think that the end result will be something that will be uh, uh, um, applauded by, by the Jewish community. Rabbi Student, it's, uh, there are a lot of specialty sidurim out there. This one's unique, huh? Not only is it unique, it's the OU is a unique place in the community. No one else can do this but the OU because we have Yachad and we have OU Press under one roof and we speak regularly with Magid. They have all the experts together sitting in one room and you can get it done and really well. Pretty amazing. There'll be a beer cone of Misoris Harav, a bencher with the Rav's commentaries. This is also being done with notes and students... Uh... Um, uh, you know what, what students have taken have taken down over the years, right, Posner? Exactly. It'll be the same approach that we've used in the Chumash, the Sitter, and so on, um, but with uh, focus on the the contents that you see in the average uh, birkon, birkas hamazon, uh, zimun, shevabrachos, and so on. Uh, the Rav had a lot to say about these issues uh, and about these subjects, and it will be in that venture. And the concise code of Jewish law is expected at some point in the next twelve months. A guide to the observance of Shabbat. Uh, what could you tell us about that? So this is uh, a very interesting project. Rabbi Gershon Appel, who's no longer living, uh, he was a man ahead of his time. He was a uh, uh, congregation rav uh, and, and, and also a professor at Stern College, a scholar in his own right. And back in the 1970s and 80s, he felt a need to have um, practical halacha, halacha lamasa, uh, written in English, updated for the contemporary world. He started. He, he started with a, a translation of Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, but updated uh, with contemporary annotations for the modern era. He managed to publish two volumes in his lifetime. This goes back to the 1970s, 80s. Never finished the project. The, uh, his children, the Appel family, came to OU and said, we want to uh, complete our father's vision uh, update the two volumes that he managed to publish in his own lifetime, uh, create uh, uh, the remaining two volumes all loosely uh, 
uh, on the same order as Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, but updated for the 21st century, talking about contemporary problems, whether it's uh, pampers uh, instead of diapers, or whether it's <laughs> cell phones and microwave ovens and so on. You will find it in, in there. The first volume, which will be Hilcha Shabbos, is scheduled to come out, uh, God willing, over the next few months. Uh, and this will be a... a uh, I think also a great contribution to uh, the Jewish community. Amazing. A lot of great work. All right, students, anything you want to add on that one? Yeah, this is a multi-year project with a lot of different rabbis uh, getting together and thinking through what, you know, because the Kitzvah Shulchan was written in the mid-1800s, and life had changed a lot. We don't do our own shechting, uh, you know, cooking, and, and just life is different. So what are the real questions that come up in the regular day of, of an average Jew in the 21st century? This is a, gr- a groundbreaking work that is going to be very relevant just for daily life. It's going to be great for shoals, for schools. Um, any, anyone giving a shear would want to have this just for the marmacomos, for the, the footnotes and the endnotes. It's a, it's a very user-friendly uh, type of, type of halacha, halachic book. Well, it's an amazing 12 months for OU Press in 2015. Looks like a lot of great things coming up in the next year as well. Rabbi Posner, is there a web address for people to check out OU Press? Absolutely, www.oupress.org. I thank you both. Rabbi Shimon Posner, Rabbi Gil Student, thank you both for joining me today and uh, continued success with the OU Press. Thank you so much, Nachum, and thank, thank you, you for all you do for the Jewish community. Greatly appreciate that. Thank you both, Rabbi Gil Student, Rabbi Simon Posner, OU Press, as we talk here at the Jewish Reaction Program on the Nachum Siegel Network.
You're listening to the Nahum Siegel Network, the OU Jewish Reaction Program. Uh, our theme basically has been looking at 2015, and we get to continue now with some of the best OU products in the year 2015. Phyllis Kogel is with us, Marketing Director at OU Kosher. Phyllis, welcome to the Nahum Siegel Network. Thank you, Nahum. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate that. There have been some good years over the years when it comes to kosher food. Yes, I don't, there have. I don't want to start. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to start reviewing some of the landmark and hallmark years that I remember because that'll really show my age. But there have been some products out there that the youngsters today wouldn't believe at one time were not either kosher or not kosher certified. I know my favorite is Oreo cookies. Wow, that's one of them for sure. All right, now you're gonna make me start the list. I know. <laughs> I'm gonna I know. Have, I'm gonna have to go back and. Uh, and proof to everybody that Hershey's didn't always have an OU on it, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> and Entenmann's as well, which is probably the biggest revolution that I remember, but whatever. Okay, we won't. Well, I won't pretend that I'm probably the same age as you, so <laughs> well, there let's go. not go there. How did we do in 2015? Before we talk about the specific products, how was it in general? In general, the OU actually certified well over 50,000 new products this year. Wow. And that includes brand new products for new companies that were never kosher before and also companies that just added new products to their product line. And 50,000 as years go, that's average? That's a lot? That's the most ever? That's a lot. I mean, we're seeing record numbers there keep on coming because the kosher industry just seems to keep growing and growing. It's amazing how supermarkets and chain stores are really paying attention and that kosher has become an important criteria for them when they look at products. Unbelievable. So there are always companies contacting the OU, and those that are in regular contact are always looking to add products and get more things certified. Absolutely. Sometimes they're just adding new flavors, right. you know, based on the food industry and the trends, and other times they're just following new trends that All are right. in the industry. All right. I have here an article that uh, that highlights some of the things that you've been involved with over the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chobani yogurt, that's something that's now an OU product? Chobani's been OU kosher certified since the day they opened. Wow. They knew that in order to enter the market, even though they're a Greek-based company and they're owned by a Greek owner, it's a privately owned company, he knew that he had to be kosher to appeal to the mass market. I wonder if that's a difficult product as they add all the different uh, you know, flavors and varieties. I wonder if it's a diff- difficult product to keep kosher. You know what? In in general, the yogurt is not difficult to become kosher as long as there's no gelatin. And, you know, we work diligently with our companies to make sure that every single ingredient is kosher. So they're very in tune with the rules and the regulations. This year, they added a lot of interesting new flavors. And I think that's what we saw this year coming out of that category specifically. They added really fun flavors like maple and plum-flavored yogurt. And then they added something that I have yet to try, but I must go out and buy it immediately. It's strawberry chocolate truffle <laughs> Greek yogurt. It just sounds decadent. It certainly sounds good. Uh, in general, flavors is uh, something that's uh, that, that that's being spoken about a lot in the kosher world. It says here, McCormick and Company, one of the OU's most prominent certified clients, developed the hottest new spices, including their Japanese Seven Spice and Shawarma Spice blend. That's one of them. And that's just one good example of uh, of spices and varieties and flavors that are making such a big hit out there. Yeah, you know, I think that companies are just keep looking for new ways to reinvent themselves and also global ethnic foods have become really really a trend. So people just want as much variety as they can get. So McCormick is really on top of their game, and they created these interesting spices, and it's really interesting that one of them was a shawarma spice. So you see that they're looking at Asian flavors, and they're really trying to develop these spices so that we can create these dishes at home. What about all these different salts that are being created, uh, you know, with different flavorings? You know, Nahum, I go to a lot of food shows, and the past two years, salt has become one of the biggest products out there that I see constantly. It's really curious to me. And salt inherently in its natural state is kosher. But once you process it and you start adding all these interesting flavors, it requires kosher certification. So we've seen a huge influx of applications and companies who are salt manufacturers who are applying for kosher certification. And there was an interesting one called 424M below sea level, and they had unique garlic salt with dill flavor, organic rosemary, spinach, and hot chili pepper salt. (laughs) 
So you see they're really looking for really creative ways to add flair to their already everyday salt. Phyllis Kogel is with us, Marketing Director of OU Kosher, looking at the best OU product in 2015, some of the new ones and some of the categories that are really exploding. Pumpkin and ginger spice you had written popped up in almost every food category, from lattes to baby food to snacks and preserves. The spices found their way into the kosher category. So certain things just get get everywhere eventually once the spice or once the flavoring gets introduced somewhere. Right, and once it's a trend in the food industry, the kosher companies jump on the bandwagon. So we saw pumpkin spice come into baby food, which really surprised me. (laughs) There were pumpkin praline muffins by Atlanta Bread. Um, There was a new preserve called um, a pumpkin spice preserve by Blake Hill Preserves. And there was even a pumpkin pie-flavored taffy candy they, uh, by Anastasia Confections, they added pumpkin spice to their taffy candies. Unbelievable. Who ever would have thought of that? No. Coffee continues to grow, right? Different flavors and different varieties. Coffee continues to grow as a category. I assume part of the 50,000 brand new products that you've certified in 2015 has a lot of coffee products in it. A lot of coffee, a lot of chocolate. So we saw really great, fantastic flavors like vanilla cream brulee, Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras king cake, pecan flavors, praline flavors. There's coffee in almost everything today. It's amazing. I saw a photo of that brand-new Absolute Vodka with a honey flavor in it. Yes. So honey was a big category in the alcohol industry. A lot of the whiskeys have a a honey-flavored whiskey, and Absolute Vodka joined that bandwagon this year, and they produced a honey vodka. Uh, Phyllis Kogel's with us talking about the best foods or at least some of the, uh, trends in 2015, uh, from OU Kosher. The, um, the gluten-free products, this category has grown like crazy. I don't know what year it really exploded onto the market, but, uh, uh, the gluten-free products, I assume it's the, the companies are making an effort to become kosher. They understand the value in that. Uh, what has happened with this category in the last 12 months? So we saw at least hundreds of new gluten-free products come into the marketplace this year. And I think what happened was that people who have um, who are celiac and have this allergic reaction to gluten, they're a huge population. And in addition to that, we've been reading a lot about how maintaining a gluten-free diet makes you feel better. So I think a lot of people are just trying it to see if it actually works. So we've got some amazing products out there by Allie's Gluten-Free Goodies, like a chocolate chunk cheesecake brownie and gluten-free red velvet cake and chocolate and vanilla cupcakes. And there's even gluten-free pizza now. So it's really out there in almost every single category possible. Do they uh, have enough shelf space or significant shelf space in supermarkets and kosher supermarkets, these gluten-free products? You know, it's interesting. Every store is different, so you're right. I think the more unique you are and the more you can appeal to a mass market, you have a better chance of getting on the shelves. Where do you think we're going to see great growth in the next year? I know that in one of the uh, comments you had made, you spoke about superfoods like quinoa and chia. And you, see, and you think that this is just going to get bigger as the year goes on. Yeah, I think that people are just getting back to basics and to nature, and everybody wants to be healthier. So we're seeing a lot of foods that have less preservatives, are more natural, no artificial ingredients, and people are just involved in a healthier lifestyle, so they want the same thing in the food they put in their bodies. So all these ancient grains and foods that are being termed as superfoods are becoming really popular. Um, I think we're going to see more grains that we haven't even heard of yet come into the marketplace. In addition, probably in the sports nutrition category where people just want more products, whether it's a, a beverage, an energy drink, something that has a higher protein content, anything that will appeal to that population and health-conscious people who are active, I think we'll see that as well. Another category that will appeal to the mass market, which may not always be healthy, is going to be things that are just easy and simple and fast that we can produce because everybody's so busy these days. We, we're all on a treadmill and we live such busy lives that people just want things that are convenient. So I think we're going to see that as well, too. Uh, what do you think of this whole smoked food category, especially the smoked meats out there, which are really uh, 
So I'm a big proponent of smoked meats. It's one of my favorite foods. But what was interesting this year was that we saw a lot of smoked flavors coming into unique products like beverages and teas and and candy, not just meat. So I think smoked flavors um, was very popular this year in many, many, many foods. Tell us your comment. Uh, I, I saw the article that was written by OU Kosher t- about the year in review. Tell us your comment about social media and why this has played such an important part in getting people involved in, in food items they never would have seen before. So I'm a big foodie, but I'm, I consider myself a different type of foodie than the people who go out every night to dinner and are posting everything they're eating. I... I'm constantly searching for the next best thing and for the next new kosher product. So I'm part of many dozens of Facebook pages and Twitter feeds that I'm just following the food industry, including my friends who are part of food groups and food bloggers. And every time someone eats something or has something that they enjoy, they're posting it all over social media. So everybody is getting their Facebook feeds every day. Thousands of things are popping up. And what's happening is people want what they see their friends are having. So they want the same high-quality food. They want to put it in their bodies too. They want to taste it. They want to try it. So social media is really actually driving the creation of these great new trends because people are posting constantly. Unbelievable. Very nice. Incredible. Anything else we should know about in terms of a uh, revolutionary item, something that's going to uh, happen the next few months? I don't even know if you're allowed to release Uh, it. Yeah, so I wish I could. Um, I'd probably have to, like, tie you up and have (laughs) you sign a million confidentiality agreements. But just stay tuned. I think 2016 is going to be a really exciting year. With one of those, you know, blockbuster announcements? like I hope so. Well, tell us if you know so. Uh, I can't. But I one day, I'm hoping, you know, we're always working and we're always striving. And our goal, really, our mission in life is just to make sure that everybody out there in Clarysville has as much wonderful quality foods to eat that are kosher. Well, you've been doing a really good job at that, I can tell you that much. Phyllis Kogel, uh, the uh, OU Kosher Review of 2015, she tells us, warns us, alerts us that 2016 could be another revolutionary year in the world of uh, kosher food. Phyllis Kogel is Managing Director of OU Kosher. Phyllis, thank you so much. Looking forward to hearing more great news from the OU. Thank you. More coming up. Keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.
Tzvi Silberstein as we close out this edition of the OU Jewish Reaction Program here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net, and of course on Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network. My thanks to Rabbi Posner, Rabbi Student, and to Phyllis Kogel of the OU. Great look at 2015 through books and food. OU Press and OU Kosher. This is the Nachum Siegel Network.